you turn with me in your bulletins to the scripture reading this morning, it comes from Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 9. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it, is called, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And this is God's word. For the past few weeks, we've been learning that the Bible is not a collection of, of individual stories that tell lessons on how to live a good life, but rather it's one story about what's wrong with the world, what God's doing in the world, and how this whole story, this single story is going to end. How, and our application is really to plug our personal story into this greater story, the gospel of redemption, creation, fall, redemption. That's the story. And this passage, it's a case study of the transition between life inside the garden, we talked about the Garden of Eden a few weeks ago, if you were present, to now transitioning to life outside the garden. And as soon as Adam and Eve, they left the garden, what happened? They start to move together. They gather together, they start moving in nomadic tribes, and they start to do what? They start to build cities. The city, the most densely populated, complex version of human society, that's the city. Cain, the murderer, built cities. One of the foundational aspects of the human condition is represented here in the gospel, in, in the book of Genesis. And we said that just about everything you need to know about the human condition can be seen in this, these first few short passages in Genesis. And so here we had come to Genesis chapter 11. It tells us that these tribes are now banding together. Unity, that's what they want. They want to build a city. And, and the people, they work together. They work towards advancement. And what happens? God comes down. He confuses them. And he scatters them. It's a really kind of mildly disturbing passage. Um, but I want to submit to you that we need passages like this. We need passages like this in Scripture to help us make sense out of the depth of the human condition and really what God really is doing in this condition. There's a lot here in this text, but today I'm going to focus on three things. The purpose of the city, the meaning of the city and the tower, God's response. The purpose of the city, let us build. The meaning of the city, the meaning of the tower, to make a name for ourselves. And God's response, what does he do? God comes down. First, the purpose of the city. Verses 1 to 2. 
If you look in your passage, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They resided there. <clears throat> Here the people had one language. They had one common speech. In other words, we have social unity. They were coming together. They were experiencing deep, rich community. Verse 4, they say, let us not be scattered. Let's get together so that we will not be scattered over the whole earth. Verse 3, they were coming up with new advancements, ways of, of building. They said, let's use brick instead of stone. Let's use tar instead of mortar. mortar. What are they doing? They're saying that we're, we're advancing technologically. Let's, take, let's make use of this. Now, because of these advancements, we can build higher. We can build faster advancement. Verse 4, let's build a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven. What were they building? They were building at the center of the city. They were building the highest tower, a temple. It was a temple. Any, any biblical scholar would tell you what they were building was a ziggurat. In Hebrew, what they actually were saying here was, let's build a gateway to the heavens. It was a temple. The temple was the highest part of the city. Why? Because you wanted direct access, closest access, a connection point with God. It was the highest place in a city where people could search for God, search for spiritual reality, experience it, find access. So here you have, here you have unity, social unity, you have career advancement, and you have spiritual searching all in the city. That's the purpose of the city. The city was every bit of place for spiritual searching as it was to experience community, as it was to advance your career, advance your life. In the city, you can experience social capital. You can increase your social capital. Uh, you, you can get technologically advanced, educationally advanced, politically advanced, financially. You can build, so you increase human capital. In the city, you can find meaning. They said, let's make a name for ourselves. You can find meaning. You can make a name for yourself. You can find yourself. You can find identity. That's called worth, self-worth. The purpose of the city was so that these people can experience community, increase their potential, find meaning in life. And starting from Genesis chapter 4, which we read in previous weeks, in the city we see the birth, the birth of the arts, the birth of craftsmanship, man's experience of their human potential and their creativity. The city is where all of our skills, music, the arts advance. Alicia Keys. The city is what? Concrete jungles where dreams are made of. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you can't do. Think, if you're just a merchant or a craftsman in a very small town, your potential for growth is probably very limited. It's not going to be that strong because you're probably the only merchant in that town. You're probably the only artist or craftsman in that town. But in the city, the very fact that you are part of this densely packed population center, skills, not just your skill, your skill combined with many skills, mentors abound. The competition is consolidated and, and compressed. And as a result, the potential, your potential, your human potential is released through dynamic community. That's what you experience in the city. The city is going to push you. The city is going to drive you. The city is going to challenge you. The city is going to inspire you. The city is going to push you to work to your potential. And when God created human beings, he made them how? Relationally and creatively. That's why single people love the city. That's why career-driven people love the city. It enables enhancement. 
It enables advancement, productivity, creativity. The city is the only place where you can dynamically practice being neighbors. In fact, since the beginning of time, since the begin- when, the, when people started forming these cities, the cities were, they consisted of walls, outer walls that gave you security. And so the city was also a place where the broken, the poor, the people who couldn't take care of themselves, they flocked to the cities. Why? Because they were combined, consolidated with all the skills, all the talents, the security of the city. So people unlike you and people who are like you are consolidated. They both push you. They both challenge you in different ways, in dynamic ways. And because a city consists of people with many faiths, people who are unlike you in beliefs, people who are like you in beliefs, everyone's searching. Everyone's longing. And so unless you make your, unless you know your faith, unless you make your faith your own, unless you make your faith what you believe personal, you're going to get lost in the city. Because of the very fact that there's diversity, you're going to get lost. You need to make what you believe real. You need to make it personal. What's the city? It's a place of community. It's a place of potential. It's a place where you find worth. Second, the meaning of the city. And this reveals the deeper brokenness of the city. Verse 4. You see it in one sentence. They want to build a city. They want to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we will make a name for ourselves. In the Garden of Eden, there was this absolute peace. There was absolute security. We called that the holistic shalom, the, the holistic peace of the city. It meant that there was, there was no social brokenness. There was no financial or educational or, or uh, religious brokenness. In other words, There was absolute unity, and with that unity, everybody had identity. In other words, everybody had a name. We had a name, but after the fall, we've been dissociated from that security. And as a result of that, we lost our identity. We lost ourselves. We lost union with God, and as a result, we lost our name. We don't know who we are. And this is the inherent problem with the city. All of our purposes, all of our agendas, they're messed up completely messed up in sin, broken in sin. And here, in this passage, they're building a city and they want advancement. But what is that advancement for? It's for themselves. The motivation is so that we would make a name for ourselves. God's divine purpose of the city. People mess it up, driven by self-glorification. What does this mean? It means when they say, you know, I want to make a name for myself, what does it mean? It means, one, I want to know that I am valuable. I want to know that I'm not just another person, another one of the six billion people out there. I want to know who I am. I want to be known. I want to be seen. But it also means I want to be distinct. I want to be unique. I want to be set apart. And this certainly means that we need somebody, inherent in that statement, we need somebody outside of ourselves validating who we are. No better place in the city for that. That's why the city is so important. The city actually offers you the potential to make a name. Now, you're going to say, well, I don't, I don't really care what, you know, given day, what people really think about me. All that matters is what I think about myself. And there's nothing, nothing further from the truth. There is no artist or craftsman, musician or singer, preacher, scientist out there that does not need validation of their work and who they are. What artist out there is going to say, it doesn't really matter what other people think as long as what I think about myself. What writer out there doesn't care what other people think of their writing? 
What scientist out there doesn't require validation of other scientists in his community out there? We all need validation. It is inherent. And so uh, that's why the city is important. This is why people go to the city. They seek validation, but this is also what kills cities. This is also what destroys the rich community that that we, we have potential for. The city spurs you on to excellence and potential, but it can be quite exhausting. It can be incredibly exhausting. It can burn you out because you're exploiting the city on one hand to make a name for yourself. So you're constantly working. You're working. You're working. You're, you're building a tower. Take a look at any large city. The highest buildings in any large city offer you a hint of the name that you could earn in that city, right? The temple was the religious center. So back then, the temple was the highest tower, which basically means in that city, it was their spiritual searching that was a center. That's what they wanted. They wanted access to God. Today, what are the high places? In your city, what are the high places? What do they revolve around? What do our modern temples revolve around today? New York City, the tallest buildings in New York City revolve around what? Finance, finance. What do um, uh, the tallest buildings in Boston revolve around? Insurance, mutual funds. The tallest buildings in Washington, D.C., they don't revolve around finance. They don't revolve around mutual funds or insurance. What do they revolve around? Government. What do the tallest buildings in Philadelphia revolve around? Finance, law. The tallest buildings in any city are made in honor of the gods that will give you a name. And so what does it result in? We're working. We're constantly working to serve these gods because we believe that if we just worship these gods, we will have a name. That's how we're going to find worth. Unless you come to a city already knowing who you are, already knowing your identity, this city will eat you up. That's the truth of the city. It's going to burn you out. And as a result, you're going to experience what? The confusion. You're going to experience alienation. You're going to experience here when God came down, the scattering. You're going to either feel run down by other people trying to make a name for themselves or you're going to run other people down by making, trying to make a name for yourself. In, in Genesis of, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, God says, nothing they plan will be impossible. In other words, these people are not going to stop. At the rate they're going, they're finding unity. They're coming together. They have one language. They have one common speech. And, and they're going to band together and they're going to act as if nothing can stop them. We need to interrupt this. This is the reason why we burn out. This is the reason why we step all over each other. This is the reason we're constantly getting stepped on. Self-glorification is an incredibly exhausting experience. So what happens? Verse 7. God comes down, and he confuses their language, and it says he scatters them over the whole earth. The diversity of the city can become incredibly confusing. It It can become embittering. It can lead you to strife, incredible alienation. You came for validation. What happens? You experience alienation in failure. You're constantly going to work to make up for that. That's what it means to serve the gods of our city. Today, people in the city, they're searching for unity. They're searching for refuge. Why? Because since the beginning of time in these cities, they were known as, not, they weren't just called cities, they were called places of refuge. Throughout the scripture, we see God as a place of refuge, our city of refuge. Why? Because the cities had high walls. They were places where you could run to, where you could hide. 
And we have people today searching for, searching for advancement, looking for a name. We're all searching for a spiritual validation on our own. And it's a cosmic thing. And it's an, an exhausting thing. What we really want, what we're saying that we want is access. We want access. We want to build our own towers. We want to we, we build our own sense of worth here in the city. That's our way of getting access. Now, what does this have to do with us? here in Philadelphia, in a city as large as Philadelphia, you find and you experience incredible opportunities to to build your potential in life. And and God created the city, therefore, as as a magnifying glass. It's a magnifying glass to draw out your desires, to draw out your potential. But it can be exhausting. It's incredibly relevant for for us today. Now, this isn't just a message for, for people who are very far from God. Think about it. You know, what were these people doing in this passage? They were building a religious center. This is the religious. These people were building a tower that would reach to the heavens. They were building a temple, so they were the religious who wanted to be so in tune with God. They wanted access to him all the time, on their own. They were building it with their own works. Incredibly exhausting. So whether you're religious or religious, whether you're built, your foundation is built on morals or you don't believe there's such a thing as morals, Life can be an incredibly exhausting experience in the city if you don't know what you really believe. And when you fail to trust what the Lord says about your identity, about who you are, and about your community, what happens? Inevitably, there's going to be a scattering. You're going to experience incredible pain. You're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel confusion. You're going to experience jealousy and envy and greed and pride, and it's going to consume us. This is the meaning of the tower. Now, how does God respond? Here's our final point. How does God respond? Where is the hope? In this passage, where is, the, where is the redemption? We said creation, fall, redemption. Where do we see the redemption here? And it's in verse 5. The Lord comes down. He scatters everybody. He confuses them, and he scatters them. Now, it looks like judgment. It looks like punishment. But I want to submit to you, it's an amazing act of grace. This is an incredible act of grace. If you come to the city to make a name for yourself, it's only going to result, this is the promise, because work is cursed. This is the promise that it's only going to result in isolation, in competition, stress, alienation. You're going to get stepped on. You're going to step all over, step all over other people. For example, this is the heart of racial tension. The city is marked by racial diversity, a the potential for incredible community, deep, rich, intentional community, but it results in lots of tension. Why? God's first command to Adam and Eve in the garden was what? Multiply, increase in number, spread out, subdue the earth. But the tower in the city was our way of saying, no, we're not going to spread out. We're going to go up and we're going to meet you on our own, on our own terms. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stay homogeneous. They had one language, they had one common speech. We're going to stay homogeneous. We're going to have one language, one speech. We're going to stay isolated. We're going to stay alienated from other people. We're going to band together and be strong together. God says, they're getting strong. At the rate they're going, nothing's going to be impossible for them. That's what they're thinking. And so he demonstrates what happens when you exploit the city for self-glorification, to make a name for yourself. He's demonstrating right here in scattering the people, in confusing them, 
But it's an incredible act of grace because what he's also doing is he's moving them because he confuses their speech. What happens? Inevitably, now they ha- they're scattered. Now they're doing exactly what God had called them originally. They're spreading out. And so rich community, real community, deep community can only experience, be experienced by, through, because everyone's confused unless God does something amazing in their lives. He's saying, you know, as one race, you can be incredibly powerful. When you have one speech, a common tongue, it's incredibly powerful. But as many races, you will push each other. You will increase your potential. You can become even greater than that. If you experience the depth of the blessing of a city, and St. Augustine says that the Christian church, the church is a city within the city, you can push each other intentionally to become even greater than that. Why did God come down? It says that he pretty much ended the work of building the city here. Why did he do that? And it's because the true tower, the true tower that would, that would grant access, the true gateway to heaven, we couldn't build that. We can't build that. You know, he wanted us to stop working. It's an amazing act of grace. He's saying, guys, just stop. I'm going to stop you right here because you can't do it. You can't finish this tower. You can't finish what you're trying to do here. Stop working to gain access on your own. One day, I will come to finish the work. And how does he do that? Centuries later, there's another tower, another ziggurat, the temple. In John chapter 2, Jesus clears the temple in Jerusalem. He's clearing the temple. And the religious leaders, they challenge him. They say, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus says, destroy this temple destroy this tower, confuse it, scatter it, and I will build it again in three days. And the writer writes, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. In other words, what Jesus is saying in his act of clearing the temple, he says, destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days, I will build it again in three days. What he's saying is that the real temple has arrived. The real temple has arrived. In other words, Jesus will replace this man-made tower with himself. Now, look at the confidence of Jesus. Look at the, the certainty of Jesus. So secure in his relationship with the Father. He knows his potential. He knows who he is. He's so bold, so confident. But soon after, he will be cast outside the city and he would ascend another hill another high place, Calvary, the cross. Not to find himself, but to lose himself. Not to find self-worth, but to surrender his self-worth. Not to make a name for himself, but to lose himself, to lose his name. Look at Jesus, his love for the city. He looks at Jerusalem and he's weeping for the city. He's weeping for the city. He wants us to have unity. He wants us to have community. He wants us to experience deep potential, but not apart from him. That was his prayer in John chapter 17. And even though he loves the city, he's crucified outside the city. Why? In your call to worship, you see Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. I'm just going to read here. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we, here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. What is the author here? What is he saying? 
Jesus suffered outside the city, what did the city give you? The city, because of its walls, because of its potential, the diversity, it meant safety, it meant security, it meant identity, it meant you had citizenship there. You belonged, it meant you had community, it meant you could experience the richest, the fullness of your potential. Unity, community, advancement, identity, spiritual finding. You can experience all those things in the city. So to be cast outside the city meant you lost all those things. You lost all those privileges. You no longer have unity. You no longer have community. You no, you're no longer a citizen. To be crucified outside the city, and you were always crucified outside the city, it meant you no longer belonged. No more potential. No more safety. No more security. And that meant that Jesus suffered the rejection. He was cast out. He was, he was left for dead outside the city. He became what the Jews called the scapegoat. He lost the security. Why? So that we can have security. He lost community with the Father. Why? So that we can have community with the Father. He, he lost his citizenship. He no longer belonged. Why? So that we can have access. So that we could belong. Jesus suffered outside the city so that we can have a name. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. So that we can have a name in the city to come. In the city to come. We can look to the city to come. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he was saying is, the earthly rejection, I can take it. The suffering, the earthly suffering, I can endure it. The pain of the cross, I can swallow it. But I have lost my true community Union with the Father, I've lost it. Which means I've lost my potential. Which means I have no more worth. Now I'm longing. Now I'm searching in a cosmic way. Why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is now I'm confused. My blood is being poured out, which means I'm being scattered. I'm being scattered over the earth. I've been alienated, not just from men, but from God himself. And yet, he also cried, it is finished. The work is done. The temple is complete. Now we have access forever. You can look to the city to come because you have eternal access. When we believe in Jesus, we become citizens. We're citizens here on earth but we become citizens of the city to come. Which means the thing, the very thing that you're looking for here, you're not going to find it here. It's only going to lead you, if you keep pushing for it here, you're going to overwork. Friends, God never overworks us. He never overworks us. But here in the earthly city, we're going to work because we want to make a name for ourselves. And if you want to make a name for yourself here in the earthly city, what's going to happen? The city is going to torment you. The city is going to consume you. You're going to lose yourself. In Revelation 22, the author, John, points to the heavenly city and he describes it. Revelation 22, what does he say? God's name will be on our foreheads. We have a name. In other words, there's only one city where you can say, because I'm a citizen here, because that king knows me here, I am somebody. I am safe. I am seen, I am known, I have a name. And to the extent that you believe that, this will change your agenda for the city here. 
If you come to the earthly city to make a name for yourself, it's only going to result in disillusionment. It's only going to result in the scattering, the confusion. But to the extent that you trust that you have a name in the heavenly city that is to come, then you can enjoy the city. With all of its pain, you can enjoy the city. You can serve the city because it's no longer about making a name for yourself. You can actually genuinely love and embrace this city. You can experience deep community. You can actually intentionally, instead of saying, I'm going to look for people with one speech, with one language of my own, I can spread out. I can connect genuinely, not for my agenda, because I'm a citizen of a heavenly city that's to come. You can do that without bitterness, without the jealousy, without the envy, without the covetousness. You don't have to step all over other people to make a name for yourself. Why? Because you have a name. You can actually be stepped on in some ways and help other people advance in other ways because the earthly city doesn't define you anymore. You don't need it to define you because you have a name. And you don't have to exploit the city for your own agenda. You don't have to be exploited by the city because of other people's agendas. You can embrace it. You can love it. At the same time, you don't have to run from it. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to judge it. You can serve it. You can embrace it. In Acts chapter 2, we see a similar situation. There are people of one tongue gathered in a higher room on the day of Pentecost, which was representative of the time when the Israelites, the Jews, approached the mountain at Sinai. So here they are, they're reenacting that approach to this high place. And here they are, they have one voice, they have one language, they have one common language, one common speech, but then what happens? As they're together, the Holy Spirit comes. And right there in that room, they all start speaking different languages. They start speaking in different tongues. But there's a huge difference. In this tower, here in Genesis 11, they have common speech, common tongue, and yet they're very confused. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has now come. Now they have many languages. Now they have many tongues, but they're not confused. It's that they were all declaring the wonders of God. No longer about their agenda. They were all declaring the work of God. They were all talking about the gospel. It was a reversal. The gospel reverses the Tower of Babel in our lives because we have a picture of the city to come. To the extent that you believe that, do you believe that? To the extent that you believe that, you can serve the city. You can love the city. This week, as we approach the table, what God is calling us to do is end the confusion. Let's end the confusion. Let's look to Christ. Let him be our city of refuge. Let's, we have access to Jesus. In him, we actually have a name. We have to trust in that. When the city starts to consume you and we know because we're being overworked, we have a name. We have to trust that. Will you enter into the city? Will you enter back into the great city? Not to make a name for yourself, which means we've got to relinquish our pride. We've got to get rid of our boasting. We've got to get rid of our titles and our degrees. But will you use your potential? Will you use your longing for spiritual truth found in Christ? Will you do that? Will you desire for community with others, not for your own agenda, 
Not to cure your loneliness or your fears, but to demonstrate life in the city to come. Will you do that? And right now, here we are, all of us, so different. Even in this small crowd of people, so different, this new church. Will you come to the table and practice what it means to end the confusion? By taking of the elements, by taking of the bread, by taking of the wine, what we're doing is we're, we're coming to the table. We're saying, I have not built this access to the Father on my own merits. I have not done this through a man-made tower. I'm coming to the Lord because he has invited me, because he came down, Jesus came down and ushered me into the city that is to come. He is our refuge. Will you pray that with me? Will you believe that this week as we take of the elements? Let's pray.